Hello everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday, hopefully you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the semifinals and finals of the ATP Rolex Paris Masters as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss... Jalen Rose being forced to apologize on air for his comments on Ime Udoka, uh, the former Boston Celtics head coach and presumably the next Nets uh, Nets head coach. Uh, Apparently, he stated on air that the that the person that was involved with the Ime Udoka situation should be uh, publicly revealed. If you guys know about about Ime Udoka, uh, he was caught having an affair with somebody on the Celtics staff despite being married and as a result he was fined and suspended for a year or not fined but suspended for a year by the Boston Celtics organization so Jalen Rose an analyst on ESPN was forced to apologize on air for publicly announcing that the uh, woman that's in uh, that is in that incident or in in that situation should be publicly identified so he had to apologize for that so we'll get into that we can also discuss Elon Musk having massive layoffs on Twitter at Twitter after being announced as the CEO of Twitter. My overall thoughts on it, uh, the overall estimates were like 50% of people were laid off on Twitter. I don't know if that's true. And there have been reports, conflicting reports that say people that were laid off from Twitter are now back working for Twitter. So who knows what's currently happening there. Uh, We can also discuss in terms of the Twitter Twitter situation, uh, Kathy Griffin and H3H3 Productions uh, having their Twitter accounts being suspended because they mimicked Elon Musk and Elon Musk yesterday on Sunday stated that any any account that parodies an actual person will be banned uh so that's we'll, we'll get into the Twitter situation and why it's in a state of flames right now so we'll discuss all that and we'll end off with our weekly picks so each and every week I, I just I recommend a book a piece of art a film sometimes a special that I really enjoy that I think you guys will enjoy as well obviously you know that this week it will be a special uh, from a very very um, great comedian um, good comedian good bordering on great but we'll start off today will be on tennis and if you guys don't know the HP Rolex Paris Masters happened yesterday and Holger Rune beats Novak Djokovic in a three-set thriller that was a really good match from beginning to end. I really, really thoroughly enjoyed this match. Uh, so Holger Rune beats Novak Djokovic 3-6, 6-3, 7-5, and three sets to capture his first ATP Masters 1000 title against Novak Djokovic, one of the greatest players to ever do it, if not the greatest player to ever do it. Um, before I get into this match, uh, I do want to state what allowed both of these individuals to get to this point in this tournament. So Holgerun had wins over and these are some name droppers. I'm going to I'm going to be dropping names like I'm like I'm Donnell Rawlings here because this is a lot of names that Holgerun won to get to this point. So he had wins over Stanislav Wawrinka, Hubert Hercatch, Rublev, Andrew Rublev, Carlos Alcaraz, and Felix Auger-Aliassime. That's how the the journey that Holger Rune had to go through 
to get to this point. And obviously, we can discuss about Stanislav Wawrinka being in the in the twilight of his career, and you know, Hercatch not really been able to play as well as he once did last year. But still, those are names. And the fact that Holgerun was able to beat all of those individuals to get to this point shows you how he has progressed over the past year or so. With Novak Djokovic, he had wins over Maxine Cressy, Karin uh, Kochanov, Lorenzo Musetti, and Stefano Sitspas. Uh, so obviously some names as well, but compared to Holgerun, I mean, it's, it's not the same. Uh, and in terms of Holgerun for, for this year, he had uh, he reached the final of the Stockholm Open and Swiss Indoors while winning the Stockholm Open final. So that's very very important to at least know. With Novak Djokovic, he did have some success later on his, uh, later on in this uh, in this year uh, due to the vaccine situation and whatnot. It's been quite difficult for him to find playing time. But overall, Holgerun has had a pretty important year, and Novak Djokovic has slowly but surely been able to succeed as well. So that's a little bit of a backstory as to what allowed these two individuals to get to this point in time. And when you watch this match, the reason as to why Holgerun was able to win against Novak Djokovic was because of the fact that he was able to make Novak Djokovic have critical unforced errors at key times throughout this entire match. He made Novak Djokovic uncomfortable at the net, more often than not, especially in sets two and three, and he allowed himself to come back in sets two and three by having key breaks at certain times that were very, very important in this match. And that's what allowed Holger Rune to beat Novak Djokovic to capture his first Masters 1000 title of his career. Uh, so let's get into the first set, shall we? So overall, the first set was quite typical Novak Djokovic fashion. Uh, usually when you think of Novak Djokovic in the first set, you think of him losing the first set and then him winning the next two or three sets. Uh, but it was actually quite traditional Novak Djokovic play. I mean, Novak Djokovic got the break early and was able to keep momentum from that from that point on. Uh, it didn't seem as if he was flustered in any way in that first set. Uh, there were times in that first set where you could sort of see Holgerun getting the advantage on Novak Djokovic, but he, he kind of thought if he wins the first set, he'll win the second set and, and whatnot. For me, when I originally predicted this match, I thought it was going to be three sets. Djokovic's direction, I didn't think that the youth and exuberance of Holgerun could triumph over that of, say, age and experience. I just didn't think so uh, at all. So I, I thought it would be a competitive match. I didn't think it would go Rune's direction. I thought it would go in Joker's direction. But in that first set, it was quite going into Novak Djokovic's direction and going into Novak Djokovic's way. I'll just give you a little bit of a spark notes version as to what happened. I won't give you the abridged version or detail every point like it used to. Uh, but we'll get into that first set. So both held serve in the first three games of the set. Uh, there were two costly double faults for Rune that allowed Djokovic to break and make a 3-1. And those back-to-back double faults were a cause of concern for Holger Rune, not only in that first set, but throughout this match as well. Because you can make a legit argument that serving is one key area that Holger Rune must address if he wants to be in that upper echelon of athletes, of tennis players, that is. And throughout this match, you saw an inconsistency with Holger Rune at the service game. And it was quite apparent at, at the at the most important parts in this match. And that was that would not be the only time he would double fall. There would be times in the second and third set that he would also double fall. He was just able to sort of bandage, bandage it up by playing well at the baseline and, and getting Novak Djokovic flustered at the net. But overall, those double faults were very, very key and and sort of proving that there is a little bit of a downside in Holgerun's play. Not all the time, 
I, I want to be very, very clear here, uh, but there is inconsistency with his play at times. Uh, so those those double faults really came back to, to bite him. Um, really good backhand down the line, clean winner by Novak Djokovic to make a 30-15, one serving four, rune serving. There's not much to really talk about that with the backhand down the line, but I just love it when I see backhand down the lines by, by Novak Djokovic. There was that one... Uh, back end down the line against Federer in 2011 for the ATP Finals. That was just, I think that was the winner of the match. That was like the last point of that match. Uh, but overall, back end on the lines by Novak Djokovic are just the thing of beauty, and I really love to see it. Um, but overall, just a nice point for Novak Djokovic. I really wish he made more points like that. Um, Joker love holds to get a 5-2 on changeover. Joker holds to take this X6-3. So overall, that key break was very, very important. He was able to go up 4-1 then. Um, and then even though Holgerun was able to hold serve, he was just never able to catch up with Novak Djokovic in that set because of the fact that he got the break early. And when you get that break, it's you know it's very hard, especially in a three-set match compared to a five-set match because in a five-set match, you have a little bit more leg room. You're able to breathe more. Uh, in terms of your pacing from set to set with best out of three it's an entirely different vehicle you know there are times in three set matches where you it could easily go to five set matches and it, the outcome would be completely different but because of the confines of this of this final and because of the confines of this hb 1000 tournament it's a little bit important to understand that each and every point matters and a best out of three set match, more so than say the best out of five, best out of five set match, each and every point matters. You know there was there are times in that third set where Holgerun was not able to go to that service box on time. You know, and it went to zero, and he got a warning by the chair umpire. And overall, it was a very strategic move by Holgerun because he was able to sort of breathe better. He was able to sort of get the bearings underneath him, and he was able to pace himself in a way that he wouldn't be able to do in a five set match, you know, because in a five set match, you're able to pace a little bit more than say in a three set match. So each and every point matters in a three set match. And it really goes to show you in that second set, because in that second set, it was completely not night and day for Holgerun. Uh, Rune was able to break early as Djokovic's unforced errors were too much for him to control. And I want to be very clear here. Holgerun did have more unforced errors than Novak Djokovic. I mean, if you look at the stat line here, which I have and right in front of me, the unforced errors were, uh, and let me just pull it up right here. Uh, they were they were thirty to thirteen. So Novak Djokovic only had thirteen unforced errors in this match. I know I make it as a big deal, like his unforced errors were a lot, but in comparison to Holgerun, he he didn't have that many. Uh, he didn't have that many unforced errors. But it was just the times in which he had those unforced errors, which were very, very detrimental to his overall outcome in this match. Very, very detrimental. And overall, I thought that was one thing that should have been focused more on by Novak Djokovic. Uh, but let's get into that second set. So overall, the second set was Holgerun's direction. He was able to get underneath himself in a little bit of a better way, in a more sophisticated way. He was able to outwit, uh, mentally outwit Novak Djokovic on all areas of the court in terms of that second set. And you sort of saw going to that third set that it would be more of a stalemate. So let's get into that second set, shall we? Um, so yeah, second set. Uh, Rune came back from love 40 to hold serve to take the first game of that set. And you just knew from then, from that moment on that this would be a competitive set, more so than, say, that first set. Uh, Rune hits a tweener, and this is sort of a note that I gave my, to myself, uh, which sort of shows his inexperienceness. Uh, but... 
I, I thought it was a very, very important to at least dis- discuss and acknowledge. Uh, Rune hit a tweener in the middle of a rally, but Joker got the point to make it advantage Joker in the first game. Um, and again, it was not like a, you know, a head facing the audience kind of tweener. It was just like a between the legs kind of shot in the middle of a really big rally that I thought... Uh, really could have swayed in one direction or the other. But that tweener was just no bueno. I, I did not like the timing of that. I didn't think it was that needed, uh, especially when you're playing against Novak Djokovic uh, in a final. I don't think that a tweener in that scenario should should work or should happen at all. I just think that was kind of dumb on his part to do. But overall, um, just something that I'm sure time will correct itself on with Holger Rune. Uh, Rune breaks Djokovic to go up to love in the second set. Rune holds to make a three-love changeover. Uh, there was a great back and forth by the two as Rune gets a far, forehand cross-court clean winner to make it 40-30, four-serving two. And that was when you sort of saw a mix of net play with baseline play. And you sort of saw them coming back from one side of the court to the other side of the court. And it was just a beautiful chess-like move by Holger Rune to be able to get that point and to get that clean winner. So overall, I really, really enjoyed that back and forth by the, by the two of them. Uh, Rune loved Holt to make it 6-3 set on a failed drop shot by Djokovic. And again, those whenever you mix net play with Novak Djokovic in this final, it was just a recipe for disaster. I'm not saying that all the, all the points that he made were bad near the net, but there was a vast majority of them that were just not satisfactory. It was just not good whatsoever. So let's get into that third set, shall we? All right, so the third set was interesting. I mean, both players played very competitively. Um, they were both able to get breaks on one another, but Joker was just unable to close it out uh, on tiebreakers to allow Rune to win in three-set thriller. And when I say tiebreakers, I mean to get to the tiebreaker, to get to the tiebreak. Uh, he was just not able to break Rune when he really needed the most. And Rune was just able to get the upper hand on him and win by a thin margin, by a slice margin. Uh, so Joker breaks Rune on double fault uh, to go up 3-1. They, w- they were able to hold uh, the first three games of that set, but he was able to, uh, to break Rune on a double fault. On, uh, was able to break Rune on a double fault. And again, it shows you that the double faults are very, very costly for Holger Rune. You know, that's something that should be a focus and should be addressed with Holger Rune is his double faults. And I'm sure he's going to fix that sooner than later. He must. He should. Uh, but overall, those double faults are very, very costly. And it, and it, it really piled up, especially in the beginning of that first set, but also in the beginning of that third set as well. Especially in the last game of that match with, a tie, with the last game before the tiebreaker or before the possibility of a tiebreaker. Those double faults in that last game of that match were very, very costly for Holgren because he could have closed it out at several opportunities, but he just wasn't able to do that. So overall, the double faults really got to Holger Rune in this match. Uh, great passing shot by Rune to break back and to make a 3-2. Again, uh, when it came to passing shots and uh, being able to mentally outwit Djokovic near the net, I thought this was just a master class. And I think a lot of tennis players, regardless of where you are at, um, and I, I, don't, I don't just mean at the professional level, but I also do mean in the professional level. I think it's very, very important to look at this match and think to yourself, okay, how can I be in that same mindset as Holger Rune where I'm able to outwit the smartest player in tennis by drawing him near, near the net and allowing to hit a passing shot that he cannot retrieve? This is, I think, a masterclass in that. And I think that this should be a how-to guide in terms of how to deal with it. You know, whenever you're dealing with a serve and volley kind of guy, whenever you're dealing with an individual that likes to put pressure near the net, Look at this final as a precursor and as an indication as to how you can deal with that. I do think that this video should be taught, or this final should be taught amongst 
other tennis players, for coaches, regardless of where you're at, whether you're at the ATP level, whether you're at a high school tennis level, like myself when I used to play high school tennis, wherever you're at, I think that this this final is a good indication as to where you should sort of maneuver when you're playing against a person that goes near the net, more often than not. So yeah, great passing control by Rune to break it back and make it 3-2. Both held serve to make it 5-all until Jovac Djokovic whiffed on a forehand as Rune breaks 6-5 to then hold to serve. And when I say whiff on a forehand, I don't just mean like swing and a miss. I mean like just hit it long. Uh, I sort of worded it differently but, uh, than what it actually was. But still, I mean, the fact that Joker just had hit a forehand that was just way too long, I was... I was shocked. I was like, this is not the Novak Djokovic that I signed up for. I did not sign up for Novak Djokovic to not able not be able to hold serve to make it 6-5 in Holger Rune's direction. I did not sign up for that. I did not sign up for that to be the case. Um, but yeah, it was 6-5 then. Uh, Rune had an open lane, and this is the final game of that third side. By the way, that, that was the most... This last game was probably the most entertaining because both of them had several opportunities to close it out for Novak Djokovic to get to tiebreakers to Holger Rune to win that to win that set to win that match, and they just it was just both of them just did not want to win this set. Both of them just did not want to win this game at all. It was it was quite quite sad. Um, and I love both these players. I think both these players are great. Uh, but Rune had an open lane on a deuce six five to make it advantage, uh, but it was dead of the net. Uh, and that was a, it was just like a very open lane where if he was just able to get that ball in down the line, whether it was a forehand or a backhand, it would have been game set match. It really would. Uh, but he was just not able to do that at all. And, and that was very, very key. And I thought if that set went into tiebreakers, we will be looking at that point as say the point that could have been. And Unfortunately, or fortunately, wherever you stand, that was not the case. Rune was, would, would be able to win that game, but that was just one of those important signs where it, it could have been going to Djokovic, Djokovic's direction. Uh, there was a nice reflex volley or lunch volley by Novak Djokovic to make it advantage Djokovic in crucial deuce point. And overall, over the course of, of a few points, uh, it would go back from advantage to deuce, advantage to deuce in either direction, uh, more so for Djokovic than, say, Holger Rune. But overall, it, it, there were times where Novak Djokovic could have closed it out as well, you know, and he could have easily went to tiebreakers. But unfortunately for him, he was just not able to do that. And the final point of this match, there was a half volley by Novak Djokovic that does not go over the net as Rune beats Djokovic 7-5 in that third set. The final score for this match was 3-6, 6-3, uh, 7-5 as Holger Rune wins his first ATP Masters 1000 final. And there was a little bit of a stat line uh, given by Reddit that I found on Reddit on r forward slash tennis that I thought was very, very important. Uh, overall, uh, I do want to say uh, that this was a very, very interesting match, and I really enjoyed this match thoroughly. Uh, there's one key stat line that I do think is very, very important to, to at least admit. Uh, in terms of breakpoints saved, uh, Holgerun did ex- exceptionally well in that. Uh, he was able to save 10 out of 12 breakpoints, especially most of it was coming in the last game of that of that third set. 10 out of 12 to make it 83, 83%, 83% percentage on saving breakpoints, while Novak Djokovic had 0%. He was 0 out of 3, uh, which I thought was very, very important to at least acknowledge and to admit is the difference in that. In terms of net points won, 73, 73% win percentage on net points won uh, for Holgerun. 
uh, 64% for Novak Djokovic. Uh, very, very different. Uh, service points won, that went into Novak Djokovic's direction, 70, 70% win percentage on service points. Um, to that is 62%. Uh, and when it came to total points won, it was more Novak Djokovic and not Holger Rune. But still, you know, when you think of, you know, break points converted, 100%, 3 out of 3 to 17%, 2 out of 12. Again, most of it was, you know, from that last set. It's a telltale sign as to where these two individuals stand and and to where these two individuals lie in. Uh, But overall, I really, really enjoyed this match. Uh, Is it one of the best matches of this year? I mean, it could be. I mean, that's up for debate. I think we still have Sinner and Alcroth in the U.S. Open. We still have... Uh, other uh, matches that happened in Wimbledon and happened in the French Open that should be of note. Um, yeah, I'm sure there are a few matches in the earlier parts of the year that should be of note to be top five. But yeah, you could definitely make the case that this was a very, very interesting match. Uh, and it did live up to the occasion because overall this was one of the better matches that we've seen in the past month or so. Not only because Novak Djokovic in it, obviously that, that is a plus, but also because of the fact that these individuals really gave their heart out to give a entertaining match, entertaining product. And for making my Sunday morning a little bit more enjoyable, um, it's I live in the states, so there's a time difference. So for me, it's in the morning. I'm sure in Paris, it's in the evening at nighttime. But overall, I really, really enjoyed this match. I thought it was very, very fun and enjoyable. And now, when I think of Holgerun, and when I see Holgerun, I think Holgerun is now in that upper echelon of players with John Sinner, with Felix Ojeda-Asim, with Carlos Alcaraz as being that next gen of players that can probably win a major. When I first discussed Holger Rune on this podcast, I think I discussed when I talked about him, I talked about him with Casper Rude back in the French Open, and I don't remember exactly what I said, but I, I remember I said not the most complimentary things about him, to put it mild, uh, mildly. I didn't have the most complimentary things about him. I, I talked about uh, him and his uh, overall drama with Casper Rude and what he's going with Casper Rude, what's going on with Casper Rude. I also discussed... Um, you know, his likelihood of winning a major. And now with Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic getting older, I do think that this now opens up the possibility of Holger and winning a major, which I think is very, very important to, to at least know. To at least know. Uh, I really do. Um, you know, when you, when you think of Holger Rune, you know, you never really thought of that. You know, you never really thought of the possibility of him being able to, to reach the final uh, or to reach a major final or, or to win a major. But I, now with his wins over Rublev, Alcaraz, FAA, Hercatch, Walrinka, I mean, again, these are no joke. I mean, Rublev is still in contention to play in the AT finals. Uh, Alcaraz has, def- has definitely been the standout amongst the next-gen of players. FAA has won three straight, uh, f- three straight tournaments before losing in the Paris Masters. So again, these individuals are no jokes. Uh, with Walrinka, that's a little bit shady. Uh, with Hercatch... Hasn't had the most success. I remember him winning Miami Open and reaching Wimbledon, or top eight, top four, uh, top four actually, uh, but of last year. And ever since then, he's sort of had a sort of slightly okay-ish results. But overall, I, I thought that this was a very, very fun match, enjoyable match, and I'm excited to see what's next for Holger Rune. I really am, uh, because he's really turning into his own, and he's really turning into a player that we have really never seen like since. And, and I don't mean that in terms of he'll win the most amount of majors. I, I just mean his own style. I think his own style is so unique and so different from any other player. You know, a lot of people are saying that he's very similar to Alcaraz, but I, I don't 
think that's the case because with all cross he hits a little bit more with more power there's a little bit more sort of volatility with his shot selection with holger rune it's very very precise and and that's not a dig at Carlos Alcaraz. Don't take it like that. You know, I, I don't want people to think like that. I, I just mean that with Holger Rune, every point is meticulous. Every point seems as if it was thought out, and that it was well thought out even before he was able to serve it. You know, every point seems as if it's in the moment where you just know that even though he will make mistakes from time to time, again he's a tennis player, you know that there's a little bit of thought that's put into it, and that's something that you really can't say about other tennis players. So overall, I really, really enjoyed this match. This was fun. This was enjoyable. Uh, this was a this was a good tournament. You know, I think it's very, very, very important to say that this was a good tournament. Uh, in fact, this felt like a lot like a major in a lot of ways. I always say it's a three set match, not a five set match. I do think if, that if this was a five set match, we would have seen Novak Djokovic win. I, I just think so. I, I think longevity matters. I think your time on court matters, and because of Novak Djokovic's experience experience on court. We would have seen Novak Djokovic win, and that's just not true for Novak Djokovic. That's also true for other individuals on the ATP circuit. I mean, think of Marin Cilic. Marin Cilic has not had the best results in terms of ATP 1000 tournaments and whatnot for the past few years or so. But when he plays in majors, it's a completely different story because you see how age and experience is more triumphant over, say, of youth and exuberance. And I think you see that a lot through five set matches than say through three set matches. But overall, I really, really enjoyed this match. And um, that's all the tennis I'll be talking about. I, I sort of went a little bit far into it, but there's a lot of good news outside of tennis. So I thought, why not spend a little bit more time on tennis today and uh, give you what you guys want. So overall, really, really fun, fun match. And uh, hopefully we'll see a rematch in the major. I, I, will, I really want to see a rematch in the major. Obviously, Novak Djokovic's vaccine situation is still a questionable one at best uh, with Australian Open. I, I Hopefully, the Australian Open Open can allow him to compete. Hopefully, the Australian government can allow him to compete, but you can never be so sure sure with Australia. But uh, overall, those are my thoughts on the match. Let's get into news outside of tennis for today. So, Elon Musk uh, is planning to lay off, or has laid off, let me start that over again, because... Again, we want YouTube shorts here. We got to change, chase the YouTube algorithm. You know, we don't want to make mistakes with the YouTube algorithm. So Elon Musk has laid off a lot of Twitter employees over the past week or so. That started back in Thursday, Friday. And a lot of Twitter employees have been laid off because of this. Uh, the original reports were saying that of 50%. Uh, those reports have been disputed. It was more so in the 30 to 40% range, but still a fair amount of employees have been laid off. This is not just within Twitter, but also with many other co- uh, companies as well, with Meta, with um, with other companies that are share the social media uh, reign, I would say. I think LinkedIn has also uh, reported a lot of layoffs from their own company. Uh, so it's been quite a difficult year, uh, time, difficult year for a lot of people. Uh, obviously, there's a looming recession that a lot of people don't want to mention, especially Democrats, because Democrats are running this year and, you know, they're in control of the House and Senate. And the last thing they want to do is bring up a recession. I mean, Democrats will bring up a recession when a, Repu- when a Republican's in office. But when it comes to the, their own in office, they won't re- they won't even mention it uh, because they need the votes. They need the votes and they'll talk about Roe v. Wade and whatnot. But Let's not get into that. We'll talk more about Elon Musk. So Elon Musk has laid off a, a bunch of people from the company and more importantly, has been quite vocal on his overall approach to Twitter. Uh, apparently, he said that he plans to restrict and suspend accounts that are parodies 
of other individuals and Kathy Griffin, a comedian, I would say. I don't know if you would label her as a comedian, but Kathy Griffin um, decided to do a parody of Elon Musk on Twitter by having his name in, in her profile name and and her still having her profile username up being Kathy, Kathy, Kathy Griffin. And because of that, she got suspended from Twitter because of that. Uh, H3, H3, H3 Productions, same thing. They tried to use Elon Musk, the name Elon Musk as their profile name and start to tweet out tweets that people thought would be Elon Musk, but it was, really wasn't Elon Musk, it was H3, H3 Productions. So they got suspended off Twitter. Um, overall, I mean, I don't think... I, I think it's a little bit of an issue because Elon Musk did say that he's going to legalize comedy. And when you see him being sort of a fascist when it comes to that, when it comes to restricting accounts and suspending accounts that mimic other people, you're like, okay, this is not this is comedy and you're restricting it. So obviously you're going against your own word on that. But overall, uh, he's been quite he's been making quite a stir. This is from NPR, so I'm just getting this from NPR. Employees braced for widespread layoffs at Twitter Friday as new owner Elon Musk overhauls the social platform. In a letter to employees obtained by multiple media outlets, the company said employees would find out by 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time if they had been laid off. The email did not say how many people would lose their jobs. Some employees tweeted early Friday that they had already lost access to their work accounts. The email and staff. The email to staff said job reductions were necessary to ensure the company's success moving forward. Twitter's roughly 7,500 employees have been expecting layoffs since Musk took the helm of the company. Already, the billionaire Tesla CEO has fired top executives, including CEO Parag Agrawal, on his first day as Twitter owner. He also removed the company's board of directors and installed himself as the sole board member. On Thursday night, many Twitter employees took to Twitter to express support for each other, often simply twinning his uh, blue heart emojis to signify blue, blue, uh, Twitter's Bluebird logo and salute emojis in replies to each other. Uh, when I first saw that, I was like, is it really necessary to send emojis to one another? I mean, no offense to the Twitter employees, I'm sure. I don't want to see them lose their jobs. You know, I think, you know, cheering on people losing their jobs is schadenfreude. I'm not in support of that. You know, there's a lot of economic uncertainty that's currently happening and i don't really think that cheering on people losing their jobs is helpful or beneficial in any kind of way i don't think it's helpful at all when you cheer on the demise of other people again understand that for a lot of these people these jobs are their livelihood and you know if if they lose this job then it's going to be difficult for them to find another job having said all that and I'm, i'm very cognizant of that you know i had to also go through that when i was a child so i'm very cognizant of people losing their jobs because i don't like to like to cheer for that you know i i want to be very clear here i don't want to cheer for people losing their jobs but i think we can all admit that there are a few jobs out there that are quite bs and aren't really needed i mean there are jobs within hr that are like quite possibly not needed i mean you could cut like a third of of the jobs and HR, and you would still see the same company as it is today. You can there and there are recruiters out there. I have a friend of mine who's a recruiter that makes upwards of six figures as a, as a tech recruiter. You don't need. I mean, honestly, you really don't need to pay a recruiter six figures to to have a successful company. Again, he works at he works at at Fang, so maybe there's a quite of a difference, but still. Tech recruiters don't need to make six figures. I mean, no offense to any tech recruiters out there. Uh, make your money, but I'm just saying as a company, there's no reason to have a tech recruiter making six figures. It, it makes no sense to have that. Uh, there's a lot of BS jobs out there. And maybe this is a symptom of the COVID economy. Maybe that's the case. But there are a lot of jobs out there that you look into it and you, you research into it. 
and you're like, this is just not needed whatsoever. If your job title has more than six words in the job, it, it's it's not a necessary job whatsoever. It really isn't. No offense to anybody who has more than six words in their job title, but again, it's it's not needed. It, it's one of those things where you look into and you're like, most of these jobs are just simply not necessary for the development of the company. Maybe obviously there are important you know job titles in a company. I mean, if you're if you're an engineer, obviously, if you're a web developer, if you're an app developer for Twitter, yeah, that's very, very necessary and important. If you're a lawyer and you're getting, you know, lawsuits thrown at you at the wazoo each and every day, obviously, that's very, very important. If you're a person that's working in the finance department or if you're a person that, you know, controls the finances of Twitter, I guess that's important as well. Uh, so I'm sure those jobs are very, very important. But in terms of like social media coordinator or gender and inclusion you know, counselor. I mean, like, what are these job titles and why are they necessary? Uh, so again, like, I want to be very clear here. I'm not cheering on the demise of these employees. I don't want to cheer on the layoffs of these employees. I think that's schadenfreude. I don't want to find success in other people's failures. I think that's wrong. You know, I, I see that in comedy a lot, in stand-up comedy as well, where, you know, if somebody, you know, decides to not do stand-up comedy anymore, then it's a bunch of other individuals vying for that spot and, and trying to go through that pecking order of being that next person i'm like whoa, whoa whoa that's a little too much shouldn't you be sad that this person that was funny and got spots shouldn't you be sad that that person fell out of cynic comedy like again like i'm not in favor of of cheering on the on the demise of other people i think that's very very wrong and i see that not only in stand-up comedy but also i see that in at at the workplace as well i see that through several different industries and jobs where they see a manager get fired and they all think that oh they're the next person in line it's like no stop having that mentality stop having that belief it is it's a wrong thing to believe in it doesn't make you feel any better you know all you're doing is just trying to trying to climb that totem pole and what you fail to realize is that if that person was replaceable, then you certainly are as well. So do not cheer on the layoffs of other people. I think that's very, very wrong. I, I, I do really think so. Uh, but anyways, back to the article. Uh, Barry C. White, a spokesperson for California's Employee Development Department, said Thursday the agency has not received any recent, have not received any recent such notifications from Twitter. A class action lawsuit was filed Thursday in federal court in San Francisco on behalf of one employee who was laid off and three others who were locked out of their work accounts. It alleges that Twitter intends to lay off more employees and has violated the law by not providing the, the, the required notice. The layoffs come at a tough time for social media companies as advertisers are scaling back and newcomers, mainly TikTok, are threatening the older class of social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook. All right, so overall, again, I want to be very, very clear here. Uh, I think it's very, very important to not cheer on the layoffs of employees at companies. Very, very important not to cheer on that. Regardless of where you may stand, regardless of how you may feel politically, whether you're conservative or liberal, I know a lot of people that work on Twitter are very, very liberal, uh, and they very, they make it very well known on their platform that they do stand for liberal rhetoric, rhetoric and neoliberal rhetoric, or say of that of conservative rhetoric, but I don't think it's helpful to cheer on the layoffs of other individuals. Because if it can happen to individuals that work at Twitter, it could happen to you as well. And if it could happen to hardworking individuals that really made Twitter into the platform that it is today, and what I what I mean by that is by the social media engineers and by the engineers that make these websites and, and make the Twitter app and make the Twitter website, if it can happen to those individuals, it can happen to you as well. So again, I'm not in favor of layoffs. 
at, at all. I think it's it's bad. Again, it's a symbol of schadenfreude, and I just don't stand for it. Uh, I also want to admit this. Uh, Elon Musk, over the past week or so, has really made Twitter into a, a place where it, it really you really see it for what it is already. And if anything, that this just highlights the problems that already exist on the platform where there's no sort of social cohesion on the platform. It's the most punitive of the social media platforms. And when I first thought of Elon Musk and him buying Twitter, I'm like, okay, he's going to reinstate Donald Trump. He's going to get Donald Trump back online. He's going to make sure that, you know, other accounts like Nick Mullen's original Twitter account comes back. You know, he's going to make sure that Sean McCarthy's Twitter account comes back. And none of that, that has happened. And I feel like as an individual, I've been slighted because I thought I was promised by Elon Musk that this would happen. This is not happening. Um, to quote the comedian that I'll be recommending his special for my weekly pick for, this is not happening. Um, but overall, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of sad that this hasn't, that his wishes or his overall goals and aspirations for Twitter have not ha- yet happened. Uh, obviously, you know, Rome wasn't built in one day, but I wish that would happen. Uh, apparently, he had like a, a, a interview a few years ago, 10, 13 years ago, I'd say, back in 2009, 2009 or 2010, 2011, uh, late aughts, early to the, uh, 2010s, where he said that he plans to have a man on Mars by 2022. And now he's buying Twitter, which was already online when he announced that so again you can never take billionaires for the word and i think that's the most important thing you can that we can really talk about today in terms of this overall ordeal is you, you should never trust billionaires never trust them because they're going to slight you in some way or form so overall those are my thoughts on the elon musk situation hopefully this is the last time i talk about it because i'm really stretching thin with that topic uh, all right, let's get into uh, our last bit of news before we get into our weekly pick. So Jalen Rose on Friday uh, was forced to apologize on air for saying the woman involved in the Ime Udoka incident should be publicly uh, identified. Uh, and this is from Yahoo Sports. So ESPN's Jalen Rose apologizes after asking why Ime Udoka accuser hasn't been publicly named. Um, ESPN analyst Jalen Rose found himself quickly apologizing on air on the air Friday for an aside for an aside about suspended Boston Celtics head coach Ime Odoka. Speaking during ESPN's NBA countdown show before a game between the Celtics and Chicago Bulls, Rose questioned why the woman at the center of the sexual misconduct allegations against Udoka have not been publicly identified. Um, we know Udoka's name. Maybe I'm missing something as it relates to the law. But don't we? Know, but don't we know her name? It's not like she's a minor. I feel like we should know her name publicly as well. Udoka was suspended for the season after allegations of an inappropriate workplace relationship came to light. While the relationship was initially reported as consensual, the woman's status as Udoka's subordinate and alleged crew language and unwanted advances on the coach's part complicated an already messy situation. At halftime of the Bulls-Celtics game, Rose delivered a quick apology. Rose's explanation. I'm Jalen Rose, and I would like to apologize for a comment I made earlier on NBA Countdown. I questioned why a woman's name who had an alleged affair with Celtics head coach Ime Odoka was not made public. After an internal investigation, it was discovered that she was a subordinate to the head coach. I now understand fully why her name should not be released to the public. All right, so that's what happened with the situation. And here's what I want to give my thoughts on. I think Jalen Rose was completely in the right. I think he was. I think the fact that they made him issue an apology is quite sad. Again, I want to be very clear here. 
uh, Ime Odoka had a consensual workplace relationship with this person. And apparently, and this is all Googleable information, I'm not going to publicly disclose the person's name because I just don't really care for her and I don't want to give her attention more than she already has. I don't want, once you say her name publicly, you give her attention. I feel like the one thing that she wants in this as well is attention. You know, when you see her in the news and whatnot, you know that she also wants attention. So the best way to handle somebody that wants attention is not to give them any attention whatsoever. Uh, so I won't disclose her name because I just don't want to give her the light of day. I don't want to give her uh, the clout that she wants. Uh, but when you re when you research into the story, because I did my research into this, and I, I I'm from Boston, so obviously, you know, I want to keep my 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 eyes in check with this story because I am a sports fan. I do think of Ime Odoka in this situation. But when I when you research this story, you realize that they both consented to having this relationship. You know that, you know, even though there there were unwanted advances, apparently. They were in the beginning of the relationship, and she still went on with this relationship despite having those unwanted advances. So if if she still went along with this relationship despite having those unwanted advances and crude language, then she's also complicit in this as well. All right, again, this is a two-way street. So obviously, if you want to suspend email Doka, then fine. I, I mean, I think it's kind of weird to, you know, mix business with relationships. You know, I think it's kind of weird. Uh, that there are workplace relationships. But again, you know, if you're spending eight to 10 hours a day at a specific job, obviously, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time with other individuals and you're going to find things in common with other individuals. So, you know, I, I mean, personally for me, I would never do that. But, you know, if it is in a workplace environment, I mean, it's going to happen sooner than later that there will be relationships in that. It's just a rule. It's a nature of law. It's just what happens. Uh, but again, she was also complicit in this as well. You know, Ime Odoka left his wife to be in this relationship with this woman who is quite mid. I mean, let's be honest here. But also, this woman was also involved in this relationship as well. And she left her husband, her children, to be in this relationship with this head coach who she knew was married. So, at the end of the day, we have to publicly acknowledge that. Otherwise, we're all going to think that Ime Odoka pulled a Harvey Weinstein on this chick. And I don't think that that's the right behavior, and I don't think that's the, what actually happened. You know, it's like the same thing that happened with Louis C.K. When you when you hear about Louis C.K. when he first when the first when the news first heard when he first heard the news that Louis C.K. was canceled for jerking off, everybody thought that he you know he locked the bathroom door and then jerked off against these women against their will, and that didn't happen. We all know that that, that didn't happen. So why is the case? Why is that the case? that Jalen Rose has to publicly apologize for this. Because when you really look into the Ime Odoka situation, you realize that Jalen Rose does have a point. And the fact that they made him apologize on air for saying that, I mean, I, I just don't, I can't stand for it. I just can't stand for it. Because you, when you look into Jalen Rose, Jalen Rose is, by the way, a very, very nice guy. I mean, he has his own charity and whatnot. He don't he donates to individuals in need. I saw him on Kev Jumba's YouTube channel back in the day. Uh, blast from the past kev jumbo that's a, that's a name that uh, i'm sure a lot of people on youtube have not heard in the past year in the past decade or so but i remember seeing him on kev jumbo or one of his on jumbo fund i think kev jumbo had like a donation channel called jumbo fund and i saw jalen rose in houston playing ball with kev jumbo trying to donate to kids in need for his own for his own private school for his own charter school that he made and I'm like, this is a nice guy. This, this this seems like a nice guy with a good head on his shoulders. 
you know, I mean, obviously he had that scandal in Michigan, but still that wasn't his fault anyways. You know, he wasn't in that situation in that scandal. So Jalen Rose seems like a pretty nice guy. When you hear uh, hear stories about him, you let, you realize that he's a very nice person with a good head on his shoulders. He means no ill will to anybody. So the fact that they made him forcefully apologize, I just I was just flabbergasted. If anything, they should make Jalen Rose apologize for the fact that he obviously puts sheen on his hair and that obviously his hair is fake and his hairline is fake that's that's the one thing that he should apologize for not for Ime Odoka and and for the situation at hand because at the end of the day he's also right because the woman in, involved in the situation left her husband left her children I mean she grew up Mormon apparently so she was definitely hired by Danny Ainge because Danny Ainge is also a Mormon but this person was also involved in some pretty bad stuff as well. I mean, it's it's one thing to go after Ime Udoka. It's one thing to do that. And you're completely in the right. I think, you know, he, he should not have been in this relationship, especially because he is married as well. Uh, this is not the first time we've heard of Ime Udoka doing this. But again, this woman is also involved as well. So let's let's be honest about this. All right. Again, I'm not going to publicly disclose or dis, uh, or publicly announce her name because again i don't want to give her any clout you know if you're willing to be in a relationship with a head coach who was also married at that time you're willing to do anything for attention and for buzz and for notoriety so why give you the light of day you know for me i'm just opposed to that because i see those individuals and i see what they want to do and i i know their intentions and i think for me like me publicly disclosing her name i just think is is just her just wanting the attention that she does, she so desperately craves and wants and needs. And I think that's that's when you're dealing with a person that crazy and that unhinged, it's best to not just talk about her or, or talk about her, but not mention her name. So, but I'm sure you can talk. You can you can see her name on Google. Just talk. Just you know, Google search email Doka, uh, woman involved in scandal or whatnot. Any of those keywords or email Doka incident woman or whatnot and have fun but i i don't want to partake in it more than i have to i'm only talking about this because i thought the treatment that espn gave to jalen rose was unfair was uncalled for and hopefully espn does not act like this more and more often because i think that there's a lot of growth to that channel i think that there's a lot of upside to that channel that they can follow that they can do uh i i mean they're on a, they're on the right direction now because they don't really talk about politics as, as they used to, but again, like small stuff like that, I, I I sort of cast my aspersions and I cast my down on the channel when I see small ticky tack apologies like that. It's just not needed. And again, ESPN seems like it's on a, on an upswing. I mean, obviously they're dead without sports. I mean, it's quite known that if you take sports away from ESPN, it's going to be dead. I mean, look at COVID. I mean. Sports on that without ESPN without sports almost ended that channel back in COVID. It, it, thankfully, they had the last dance, which helped them in the ratings. But overall, when you look into ESPN, you realize, oh yeah, they're they're very desperate for sports, live sports, because all their talking head shows, besides First Take, does not really do that well in the ratings. It's just background noise when you're at a bar or when you're at a at a barber shop or when you're at a hotel room it's, it's just background noise no one really pays attention to what you know individuals are saying on around the horn or what they're saying about on on pardon the interruption i'm sure they're good shows too I, I used to watch them i used to like to listen to what 
Bill Plaschke used to say, as if I cared about what Bill Plaschke would say on Around the Horn when I was like nine or ten years old. I used to care about what Tim Callishaw would say. You know, I know these are na- these are names that no one has ever really heard of in the past few years or so. But I used to I used to watch those shows. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but overall, uh, I I don't think that Jalen Rose should have apologized. I, I don't think ESPN should have for should forcefully tell Jalen Rose to apologize for that because again. If there's anybody that should apologize, it's the woman involved, and it's Ime Odoka. And hopefully, when Ime Odoka becomes the next head, next Nets head coach, try saying that five times fast. Hopefully, addresses this because that will be a that will be a must see press conference, very very must see press conference. So those are my thoughts on that situation. And again, I do not want to publicly disclose the name of that woman uh, because again, I, I just don't think it's necessary at this point. Uh, for Jalen Rose, it's fine because again, I want to see Jalen Rose go full beast mode. I feel like there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a rebelliousness to Jalen Rose, and I, I want to see that. And I felt like if he just said it on air, I'll be like, it would be in the same way as like how WWE avoids saying Chris Benoit's name, where I'm like, say that name, say that name. I want to hear you say that name. Just drop that name one point or another. You know, it, it would be like such a, like a like a mic drop moment. You know, but anyways. Those are my thoughts on Jalen Rose and the situation involving Ime Odoka with the woman that he decided to cheat on Nia along with. Again, how do you cheat on Nia along? She's so stunning. It's crazy. All right. I think those are all. that's it for the topics today. Let's get into my weekly pick, shall we? So each and every week, I recommend a book, a piece of art, a film that I really enjoyed and that I think you guys will enjoy as well. This week, because of his special, and by the way, I want to say this. Uh, this special was really good. I saw it on Thursday, right? I saw this. Uh, I saw this special on Thursday. It dropped or uh, on Wednesday, the same day as he as his Joe Rogan appearance dropped as well. So I'm like, this guy is just a marketing savant. Apparently, he bought Spotify stock because Joe Rogan privately disclosed to him that he was going to sign with Spotify. And a month later, after it was publicly announced the shares skyrocketed and he made a lot of money. So he's a smart, savvy guy. He's a very smart Jew. He's a very smart Jew. Um, very smart guy. Did I say Jew? I, I meant guy. He's a very smart guy. Very, very smart guy. Uh, this week, I'll be recommending Ari Shafir's Jew. This is a great special. I really, really enjoyed it from the beginning joke to the end joke. It's an hour and a half, but it doesn't really feel like an hour and a half. You know, when you, when you think of an hour and a half special, you're like, okay, there's a lot of fill in here. I'm sure he's just making up stuff as he goes or as she goes. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of things that did not need to be in the special. But when you when you watch the special in its entirety, you're like, okay, you sort of see where he's going with this. And you realize that there's a lot of thought put into the special and in ways that we, we don't really see from specials nowadays, right? Like when you look at the latest onslaught of Netflix specials uh, compared to this one, you realize there's a lot more thought and effort put into this special than, say, a lot of the Netflix specials that he's been seeing in the past few months or so. And I think that goes a lot with the fact that, you know, he did release this on YouTube. You know, he, there's a link. It's very easy to just uh, share with your friends and whatnot. But more importantly so, you know, when you see the backdrop of all the candles and how it's, you know, it's sort of part of the Jewish culture to have that many candles. I don't really know for certain as to why there's a lot of candles behind it. So if you're a Jew, you know, leave a comment down below as to the significance of it. You know, I really want to hear. Uh, I think it's for Rosh Hashanah. I'm, I'm, I might be mistaken. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not that well versed in, in, in the Jewish religion as I would like to be. 
but there's a lot of back, there's a lot of candles for the backdrop and and one of the things that I really enjoyed about the special is the end credits. I know that sounds like a dig, it's not a dig because he really gives his flowers to the people that really helped him make the special. I thought that was a very very nice touch that you really don't see from a lot of comedians. You know, I thought in the end credits he gave his flowers to the individuals that worked for him and worked for the special. He said, "If any aspiring comics uh, want the backstage that I have." Please talk to this individual. You know, she's she did an amazing job at that. I don't remember her name, but I remember seeing that title card of that, just that message alone. I'm like, that's very, very rare that you see from comics nowadays. Apparently, R. Shafir also is the only person, only is the only podcaster that is in the New York comedy scene, the LA comedy scene, that pays guests to be on his podcast, which is crazy i mean it's it's amazing to see i mean justin mckinney very very funny comic i I recommended his special um on my youtube channel but apparently justin mckinney was also on r shavir's podcast he got paid money he pays all of his comics money regardless of your experience regardless of where you're at he pays you money and i think that's something that a lot of comics should do if they're in that, that position of making money through their podcast and paying other comics because i think that's that's sort of lacking uh but again he does rely a lot on the jew thing you know, which is fine. I'm completely fine. But, you know, when you think of Ari Shafir, when you think of his past being the amazing racist, you're like, you sort of see where he's coming up from with the special. Because, you know, in a lot of ways, he does channel a, a lot like Sebastian Maniscalco and Russell Peters, where he's tabbing into a community. But he's doing so in a way that still has that edge to it. You know, when you think of Russell Peters, he's tapping into the Indian community. He's tapping into, into the immigrant community. When you think of Sebastian Maniscalco, he's tapping into the Italian community. You know, when you see... Sebastian Maniscalco live. It's just a bunch of, uh, pardon my French, but Guidos, you know, having the time of their life, you know, bringing their grandparents, their friends, their family members, you know, relating their own life to what Sebastian Maniscalco is currently saying on stage. And it's a very beautiful thing when you see it. Uh, but when you see the special, you see that he's trying to tap into his own community, the Jewish community, but doing so in a way that still has that edge, that bite to him that you saw in those amazing racist days. And again, Ari Shafir Jew is a good special. I really, really enjoyed it. Great special. Go watch it. It's I, I know I originally said it's a good special, not great in the beginning of the sequence. Only ribbing, only making fun, only trying to have fun. It's a great special. Go watch it. Hour and a half, but it does not feel like an hour and a half. He does some crowd work, which... At times, it can feel a bit cumbersome. You know, maybe I'm just tired of watching crowd work on Instagram Reels. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I'm just so tired of seeing the same yellow captions or the same "What do you do for work?" You know, I'm 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 so tired of watching crowd work on Instagram Reels and on TikTok. Where I'm getting to to that point where I just don't want to watch crowd work anymore. But I do think that the crowd work was a little bit less than than what I thought it would originally be. Uh, and I thought it was good. I thought he had a lot of good material on it. So Ari Shafir's Jew, go watch it. It's on YouTube right now. Link is in the description box below. Other than that, guys, I think that's all the time that I have for you. So guys, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you leave a comment on any of the topics that I, that I discussed for the YouTube algorithm, whether it is... Ari Shafir's recent special, whether it's Elon Musk planning uh, having massive layoffs at Twitter, uh, Jalen Rose being forced to apologize for ESPN for the email Doka situation, or that of say tennis. Any of those uh, questions, comments, or concerns, leave them down below. I do my best to respond to each and every one of them. Make sure you guys follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at OJ Tucker with the underscore at the end. With TikTok, it's at OJ Tucker a at A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R with an underscore at the end from my Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Make sure you guys rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you're able to do that. And last but not least, 
make sure you guys spread it through word of mouth. I think through WhatsApp or through group chats are very, very important to get people invested in this podcast. Great to encourage a conversation is something that's ideal. So overall, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys on Thursday. We'll talk more about things in our political and societal realm, but also talk about things in tennis as well. All right, guys, that's it for you for, for tonight. All right, guys, peace. See y'all.